Hey, FFR listeners, this is the producer Rob speaking. It's that time of year when everyone starts to think about the important things in life, like our taxes. Did you know that a donation to Feminist Frequency is actually tax deductible? If you have a few bucks a month to spare, head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak, F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Help us out, but also help yourself to all the great exclusive content that's available only to people who are signed up on our Patreon. But I want to be like a furniture maker, uh, except the music comes and I start dancing. Like, (laughs) Mike, you can be multiple things. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio presents Macho's Fully Loaded. This is the podcast that asks you to be critical of the media you love. And this season, we're taking a cold, hard look at masculinity in movies and TV. I'm Kat Spada. And I'm AC Lamberty. Uh, this week's show, get your kids their damn earmuffs <laughs> for mature listeners only. Because this R-rated episode is all about machos. Who? Uh... Bosses. 100% pure adrenaline. Weapons. Your move, creep. Dominance. Ain't on her. Machos. The only place you're gonna go is the hospital. I will be right back. Her rental advisory, Tipper Gore, is ready to censor this episode. (laughs) AC, is this too hot for internet radio? I don't know what the rules are. Are are we making a mistake here? Because we started with teen machos. Mm. You know, and now we're just <laughs> amping it up. NC-17. You know, I if, I feel like if following up an episode about teens uh, <laughs> with an episode about full service sex work is wrong, honey, I don't want to be right. <laughs> Lock me up. <laughs> uh, um, I feel like every week I'm going to be like, the, the motto of this season isn't strap in and strap on, but... <laughs> Also, every week it that certainly is, the is motto. this week for damn sure. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about like, and we were talking about movies with macho characters who are exotic dancers, adult films stars, sex workers. Like, I was thinking about that kind of era of sneaking into the living room mm-hmm. to watch Cinemax after hours, or like. You know, was there ever a movie that you went to go see or something that your parents were like, that's not for you? Honestly, no. I had so (laughs) little restriction on the internet, uh, which is bad, probably. But I do remember going through kind of like the TV guide on, uh, like with the remote, where you can like get the little preview of what something was about. Yeah. We didn't really have like full access cable, so I would scroll and find like the porn channels and then right. just like read the descriptions and be like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> like, wow, I wonder what that looks like. Wish I could find out. <laughs> <laughs> that's really great because I have to imagine that the descriptions were like a realtor uh, mm-hmm. finds a new client or something. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, wow, that's so erotic to me. I also feel like I was trying to think of kind of formative sex scenes or like sexy media and was blanking on that but i did consume just a wild amount of fan fiction for teen wolf so uh there's that (laughs) i feel like a lot of my experience was like wishing there was more horny shit going on and then just getting it through fan fiction you know what i mean it's very uh shocking to me 
to reveal to you that I also read a lot of fan fiction <laughs> for the television series Teen Wolf. Wow. Which I, I'm just enough older than you then that that is very weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's that weird. Are you steric for life? Yeah, ob- obviously. <laughs> I, I like Scott and Styles. Sorry. Like I'm talking about team matches. Scott <laughs> uh Scott, that kid that kid was cute, but um I don't know, man. I I do love that like we didn't have those types of restrictions. Like my parents wouldn't I don't think they would be like encouraging me to go see stuff, but for the most part, like one of the first movies I saw in, in theaters, this is not a machos who fuck necessarily, but was The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> That's great. Because my parents wanted to see it and they just took me with them and they That's were like, one. eh, whatever she doesn't get, she doesn't get. And we'll tell her yeah. to not pay attention to stuff. But oh, That's a great uh, early movie to see. Yeah. In wow. Wish that could have been my experience. I think my first movie in theaters was Anastasia. The animated oh, okay sure a macho that, that who has, fucks that has a, yeah that has a hunky <laughs> a hunky cartoon guy in it yeah um no i mean for me i when i really do think back i'm thinking more to uh, uh unscripted mm. so i definitely would kind of sneak away to watch uh taxi cab confessions Ooh. or uh hbo's real sex yes. which you know, showed boobs and butts. Might have even shown shown front frontal downstairs nudity, <laughs> side dick. Kind of. <laughs> but it was always like uh, this episode. We're going to hedonism two to interview <laughs> some like middle aged swingers, and yeah. I was like, "This is really fa- fantastic stuff." <laughs> like, That's great. I remember not being like titillated by it, but just fascinated. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was my my feeling about it all too. It's more just like anthropological intrigue. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, and this we are like the this sort of cuspy generation too, where um I could ask Jeeves about just anything. Mm-hmm. And my parents had no idea of what I was getting up to. Yeah. Um I think now post slender man maybe parents have like a little bit of a better uh handle on like like it used to be just like don't go on the internet strange adults will find your children but the reality was like don't go on the internet your strange children will find strange adult shit to watch (laughs) absolutely (laughs) certainly Um, my experience yeah yes as a once and current strange child myself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well uh I'm going to ease us in to this conversation. So, you know, a little on-screen entry-level sexuality. More tease than squeeze, more please than sleaze. Okay. I am attempting. Iconic, blondo, weirdo, macho yes. Matthew McConaughey. He's showing up. <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure that I was going to rewatch the first Magic Mike, and I did. And I rem- watching it again, I was like, Damn, of course he was. He had Oscar buzz. Like they were mm-hmm. talking about Matthew McConaughey before Dallas Buyers Club. They were like, "This is it. Yeah. He's wearing a fringed g-string, oh. <laughs> and he's gonna get an Oscar." So good. Didn't even get nominated, <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's dig into some movies about male entertainers. I was writing down my thoughts about the Magic Mike franchise and obviously thought I was going to have just a couple paragraphs, wrote several pages. Um, (laughs) But 
I want to kind of disclaim here that uh, anyone who knows me knows that Magic Mike XXL from 2015 is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Mm -hmm. But it's not really a movie about machos who fuck. You've seen this, of course. Yes. I'm surprised that you don't have a full podcast about Magic Mike (laughs) (laughs) and the franchise. Just like scene by scene. Um, I, I, I feel like what's so great about this movie is that it's friendship cinema um Mm. there's like literally no stakes the bros are getting the band back together and going to a convention in myrtle beach machos Um, who are friends (laughs) machos who are friends and like i remember reading i think it was fran hopfner on bright wall dark room who wrote like it's not even a stripper competition it's just a convention like they're just (laughs) going and like this isn't what a stripper convention would be i feel like a stripper convention would be like wholesale people yeah or like vendors. Yeah, yeah vendors. <laughs> You'd have a lanyard. Instead, mm-hmm. it's like just hey, we're here to to dance. Um and there's like no romance in this movie. Mike Lane, our hero, befriends a bisexual sad girl. Mm-hmm. And the only point is that he's gonna use his dancing to bring her smile back. And that's it. <laughs> it's it's beautiful, really. And it's not like I'm gonna bring your smile back, honey, and like puts his finger in her mouth (laughs) i'm gonna bring your smile back see ya (laughs) like i believe him i believe him totally the movie ends the soundtrack blast all i do is win by noted cunnilingus phobe (laughs) dj Khaled. everybody's hands do go up and they do Mm -hmm. stay there because the pals have just danced in they danced about things they were interested in and all of the women in the convention center deserve joy that's it. That's that movie. Totally. Um, I was talking to my friend's husband about <laughs> Magic Mike XXL the other day, and I could tell he didn't think I was serious. And I was like, I'm deadly serious. This you is should watch this movie. So funny you say that. I was also talking to a friend's husband <laughs> who I saw on Letterboxd had logged yeah. Magic Mike 1 and 2, gave him five stars each. And when I saw him in person, I was like, great taste. Yeah. It's like it's the best. I mean, Magic Mike XXL is like the best road film yes. I've seen in years. Like it's incredible. I yeah, like I I also find new things every time, like just nuances of Matt Bomer mm-hmm. as a like sort of level three Reiki healer uh. or um fluffy Gabriele Iglesias, yes. who this is actually something um my friend Lizzie had identified when we first watched the movie in theaters with her mom, um, which is that a lot of the lines in the movie are delivered by like delivered by characters that typically the lines would be delivered by the opposite gender. Oh, interesting. So for example, when all the guys bring Gabriel Iglesias to the hospital because he drove with mm-hmm. his eyes closed and crashed <laughs> the food truck that they're on a road trip in. Um, there's like a f- like women doctor and nurse in there who mm-hmm. are saying like the guys are like is he going to be okay you know what's wrong with our friend and these women are like he's going to be fine he just needs some rest like he's just I- so high yeah <laughs> they're all just coming down off of Molly but um I went back and rewatched the predecessor which is Steven mm-hmm. Soderbergh's Magic Mike from 2012. Which the story of this movie, like the lore is that it was inspired by Channing Tatum's real life experiences mm-hmm. as a stripper. Who? Sorry um, to interrupt, but who directed yeah. XXL? Was it not Soderbergh? 
Oh, good question. It was technically Gregory Jacobs, who I think is Soderbergh's like AD or something. Okay. But everyone theorizes that actually Soderbergh did direct it, but there were some like guild reasons why he couldn't put his oh, name I on see. it. Okay. It is shot and I shot, I think, and edited for sure by Soderbergh using his alternate Got names. It. Okay. So it's very interesting because I feel like Steven Soderbergh wants to make these gritty stories. Yeah. And then XXL is so different that it seems like it doesn't have his fingerprints on it, but it does. So yeah. Maybe and then you just... see Magic Mike's Last Dance. And it's yes. like so much more in the spirit of XXL, which it will is. get you, I assume. But. Yeah. I mean, that's so that's what's interesting about this trilogy. It's like the first movie and the third movie, I do think, touch more on like what transactional sexuality is mm-hmm. and looks like. The second movie it's like about the joy of movement (laughs) more than it is (laughs) about like, we're going to strip. We got to use our bodies to make money. It's like the marketplace. Yeah. Like (laughs) the first movie I think is really mostly very dreary. Mm -hmm. Um, The dancing isn't that impressive. It's, it is more aligned with the kind of crappy strip shows that you might go see in Tampa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, with just like people stomping around pretending to be firefighters. Um, and these are just kind of guys who maybe their big dream is to make it up the big leagues in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, they found themselves doing this, but there's a lot of drug use. And if they get mm-hmm. addicted or they decide they want more money and they get involved in, in like dealing, this is, this is about like tragedy and drama. Mm-hmm. Um, not for, you know i don't know it just even watching it again it's better than i remembered it it is a good movie but because it's so different from magic mike xxl i'm like i do not yeah. want that <laughs> um but i really was glad that i rewatched it because of how it talks about like what stripping is like what is the workplace of stripping what is the performer exchanging like what's the unspoken contract that's being exchanged between the performer and the audience. Right. Um, Matthew McConaughey plays <laughs> Dallas, who is the MC of the Kings of Tampa. A job I should have, by the way. <laughs> you 100% should. Like, uh, what's interesting about this is that like, he's like, maybe, I don't know. Is he like a former stripper? Like he strips sometimes. And then there's other times where he's like, I'm not going to get out there. Like, yeah. I'm just here to be an MC. I recall but. that from watching that, like, a year or two ago, too. It's just, like, he's, like, a mascot, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which eventually be becomes uh, Jada Pinkett Smith in yes. the second movie. To quote Ira Madison III, she's giving her best Michigan J. Frog <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> accurate too i've like <laughs> gone back and rewatched like wb <laughs> intro video on youtube and i was like no for real <laughs> so funny oh my god oh okay i'm gonna tear so, up continue <laughs> so yeah like magic mike is mostly takes mostly takes place in this like cabaret uh in front of a cabaret audience of like bachelorettes and girls who've just turned 21 and he starts the movie the very first scene is just him saying like he's touching he's groping his own body touching his butt his legs his chest and saying can you touch this no 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 can you touch this no 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 
But then punchline, I see a lot of lawbreakers in here. Oh, so good. So good. But like off the top, it's very interesting that it's like, you know, when we have like men on display for an audience of women, the concept is like, well, the rules are are rules, but not really. Like you're not, they're not in danger from you. This isn't really harm that we want to protect these dancers from right it's and like the power dynamic is still maintained despite yeah. the differences in like labor and performance yeah like i have been to a handful of strip clubs th- with women dancers and like i suppose like they have different rules depending on the state depending on the county depending on the proprietor but like for the most part i do feel like um a well operated strip club is hopefully going to protect its like female dancers from clientele Mm -hmm. and right off the bat it's like this isn't really this isn't perilous for these men yeah and i can't think of a film or tv show about women who are strippers or dancers that have that same kind of approach like i watched showgirls recently yeah almost a core tenant of that film are the clientele being just horrible and handsy and inappropriate like, I can't, I, it feels like a distinctly masculine point of view um, yeah. for sex workers. There's, um, I've only watched a few episodes of P-Valley, but everyone mm. I know who watches it loves it. I've got to um, go back to that. I think I let my stars lapse. But <laughs> there's some other kind of descriptions about what this work is in the first Magic Mike movie. Uh, at one point, it's described as 25% dancing, 50% marketing, which <laughs> I love that so much. Like, I heard that, and it about two hours later, I was like, that's kind of not a 100%. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, like, there's this this main kind of secondary character played by uh, Alex Pettifer, who's the new oh, stripper. Yeah. And they say, well, he's young, he's good looking, he can't dance for shit, but that's teachable. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, well, that's, it, it's not about, skill yeah that's not what they're trading in here in the second and third movies it is very much about skill and that's what kind of elevates like they're saying that this type of work is an art form Mm -hmm. um but in the first movie it's just like meh are you gonna know why we're here yeah you're gonna make some drunk women horny and that's enough um and then there's this part that i was like boy I don't feel like Channing Tatum wanted to say this line at all, but they (laughs) wrote it in, which is he has this like kind of love interest who cares. um, And she's like, she says something like, um, I can't support your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And he's like, am I being magic Mike right now? This is what I do, but it's not who I am. And that's really something because I think that the character of Mike actually does, he carries that for the rest of the trilogy. Totally. I was going to say that it very much is who he is in the next two. Yeah, but he struggles with that. He's like, but I want to be like a furniture maker, uh, except the music comes and I start dancing. Like, <laughs> you know? And also it's like, Mike, you can be multiple things. You can yeah. make upcycled like thrift store furniture and you can be someone who like changes people's lives by giving them the night of their lives. I don't know. It's, it's very, I feel like it doesn't 
entirely know what it's going to be about in this first movie, but um, obviously an eventually yeah. iconic trilogy. Well, so, not yeah, to get, like, like too millennial with it, but please. like thinking about the constant push to monetize aspects of your life mm. or identity and like yeah. that being so central to who you are. Like, I don't know if I have a hobby. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. that, that isn't something that is a venture at the same time. Um, which I think yeah. is ultimately kind of a negative thing, but seems like kind of the central identity piece of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as serious as that yeah. <laughs> per se, except for maybe in the first one. But yeah, yeah the, the the taking something that you are interested in or good at or find joy in, and then that becomes something that is an identity group or like, yeah. you know, identifying factor about yourself that maybe makes you money too. Right, right. Like, it's important to have elements of your life that aren't tied to subsistence. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's not what these guys are exploring necessarily. Yeah. yeah. The third movie, which came out earlier this year, Magic Mike's Last Dance, mm-hmm. is a... It's very different. I mean, it's it's inspired by the stage show Magic Mike Live, which I highly recommend. <laughs> but it kind of sets up like Mike is kind of offering the boyfriend experience to Salma Hayek Pinot. Yeah. She offers him $6,000 for a dance. Yeah. And then they end up sleeping together. So he's like, oh, I'm not going to take that money. And then she offers him like 60 grand to go to London and save the theater or whatever. Yep. So he has like a Zoom call with the boys from Magic Mike XXL and Tarzan. It's so great. I loved how choppy it was. Yes. Um, Tarzan played by Kevin Nash, who, by the way, I looked up Kevin Nash Mm -hmm. and like I thought his own bio that he would write himself would be like actor and former professional wrestler. Yeah. Instead, it's actor and equal rights advocate or activist. Oh my God, get him on the pod. I know. I was like, Kevin Nash. No, I knew I loved you. I was going to say, is he your favorite of the original boys in XXL? No. Um, I like him a lot, but I really do like, <laughs> I really like the journey of uh, Big Dick Richie, played by Joe Manganiello. Oh my God. Because his chemistry with andy mcdowell who definitely did not know they were filming she just was talking um (laughs) it's it's delightful it's absolutely yes and like that he's interested in finding the one amazing so there's the zoom call in magic mike's last dance where he talks to the guys and he's like yeah i'm in london this lady offered me this money to come do stuff and uh but it's not it's not like sexual it's not like that And Tarzan is like, hey, sex work is work. Don't be ashamed about this arrangement. There's nothing wrong with it. Loved that. Uh, But then, you know, it's Hollywood. So Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie, it's not like sex worker does good. It's like, oh, they fell in love. So no money has to exchange hands. Don't we feel better about that? Yeah. Commerce is taken out of it. So it's it's good and just. Yeah. And. I, I mean, this movie isn't like interested in having a moral position <laughs> statement, yeah. probably. Oh, totally. But um, for the purposes of this conversation, I think, uh, yeah, it's like Magic Mike. The trilogy is almost not appropriate for the Machos Who Fuck uh, conversation, mm-hmm. but I do think it fits better here than in the Machos Who Dance, 
although mm-hmm. we'll get there. <laughs> and if you've seen the Magic Mike trilogy, and I would be shocked if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't, um, <laughs> I recommend the documentary This One's for the Ladies, which came out, I think, in 2018. It's uh, an exploration of male strippers in the black community. Uh, there's also one queer woman stripper who's featured. Um, and it investigates it a lot more closely. Like we saw this glimpse into uh, male entertainers uh, providing dancing and um, entertainment for women in Magic Mike XXL. But this movie goes closer into like what these some real life dancers and audience members get out of this uh, world. I gotta say that scene in XXL is probably my favorite of the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, the introduction of of Jada Pinkett Smith, I can't stop thinking about Michigan J frog now. Um, (laughs) And also kind of the, the Donald Glover singing jump scare. Yes. So funny to me. (laughs) He's it's such a strange choice. Like, or everyone in that, like Michael Strahan. Yes. He was like football player turned Kelly Ripa co-host yep. turned absolute dominating dancer. Like, yeah. he's so great in that scene. Yes. It is like capital W what women want. <laughs> 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 that whole scene. I mean, it's great. This, that's the last Mel Gibson reference that we'll get this season. Um <laughs> Obviously, contractually steven twitch boss who recently passed away mm. who is in that and i have loved so you think you can dance for years uh it's yeah but it is a really beautiful scene and then the fact that just everyone knows what jada pinkett's going on about and is on board with it is so great yeah. like there's no learning curve it's just like i've got a ghost what happens yes. when a ghost shows up queens and <laughs> like, perfect <laughs> <laughs> i mean to kind of like extrapolate that a bit a lot of content and especially the stuff we're talking about today about sex work be it strippers or like sex workers hustlers whatever so much of the media i'm finding is just you are thrown into the world and expected to acclimate and get Mm. it and if you're on board you're on board and if you're not you're not Uh, which i really like i like an immersive world like that and i think that xxl kind of does that um especially in that that jada pinkett smith world so one more thing to talk about taking us from the stage to the big screen, because this is a before home video. This is when you used to go to the theater to watch nudie movies. <laughs> I feel like we have to address uh, Hollywood's best known exploration of the that other film industry mm-hmm. uh, in Southern California. Boogie Nights, 1997, Paul Thomas Anderson. Absolute top 10 for me of all time. It is so good. Like mm-hmm. I watched, I put it on last night and I was like, I just want to watch a little bit of it for this conversation. Obviously I was up late watching the whole thing. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to not watch Alfred Molina. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I've been saying I'm going to go with him for Halloween this year. In that oh movie. my God. So good. Um, I'll follow around with little like firecrackers. <laughs> <laughs> throwing them around. That would be fun. This, uh, this movie. I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's like the best Like, this is Paul Thomas Anderson showing you what he's about as a filmmaker. Um, And it features this main character, Dirk Diggler, set in 1977, who is this, like, ingenue of the adult film industry. And 
here's what I really thought was interesting about this. There, it's like an uh, an ensemble cast. There's a lot of characters with different motivations, different tragedies and strengths and weaknesses and whatever. But our our hero Dirk, he doesn't get into porn because it's a last resort. He doesn't get into it because he's down on his luck or whatever. He gets into it because he sees that using his body is his best avenue for a life mm-hmm. of like fame and respect and love. His mother. It's not even money, which is interesting. Um, yeah. Because there's similar themes that will come up in, in Midnight Cowboy, but uh, yeah. more money focused. Whereas in, to my memory, Dirk Diggler is more just like, I want, I literally want to see my name in lights. You have that whole yeah. moment yeah. where he comes up with his porn name. Yeah. yeah. He, it, like eventually, of course, the money comes, the drugs come. Definitely a perk. Yeah. He wants the car and. Uh, I'm going to buy these fucking shoes. Yeah. A dojo themed yeah. bedroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there are scenes of him where his mom is is yelling at him that you're stupid and you're, you're a loser. You can't do anything. And he says, I was blessed with one special thing. And throughout the movie, it is referred to as both beautiful and huge. I won't say the word. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and then we get to see a prosthetic version of this huge, beautiful cock at the very end of the movie. Incredible. There's also this kind of like twist. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really fully figured out how I feel about it. But there were a few Oscar-nominated performances in this. We know that many of these actors are like top-tier at the craft and they are playing like bad actors. Yeah. And that's something that's sort of, I never really thought about before. Like, is there, is there a level of disrespect here? Mm -hmm. And I don't really think so. Like, I don't think Julianne Moore necessarily feels like I'm better than Amber waves, the character that she plays. I think she does such a beautiful job in that role. Um, but some of the characters are very clear about like Don Cheadle repeatedly is like, I'm not a pornographer. I'm an actor. I just mm-hmm. also do this or Dirk Diggler and John C. Riley. Um, they want to be in real movies, but yeah. those real movies are, are, uh, have explicit sex in them. That's fascinating to me because I am really interested in porn that is cinema especially from like the golden age of porn so Mm -hmm. your fred halsteads your wakefield pools um i mean those are like gay porn directors but Mm -hmm. they have work that is so cinematic and has been shown like fred halsteads work was shown at i think it was moma in like the 70s Mm. and 80s um was presented in an art house context despite having unsimulated explicit sex he was like in the art world kind of begrudgingly as a result um so it's it's interesting that there is like a straight up distinction um, yeah. for these actors, um, and I think maybe that is also by virtue of being in the mainstream porn, porn world in this film, right. um, in Boogie Nights. Um, whereas there is a whole subculture of like sexually explicit art house film yeah. um, that I will talk about later. Um, yeah. But yeah, just just an interesting distinction there. Um, yeah. In the in the mainstream, at least. And finally, watching this movie, I mean, every five minutes, I was like, "Is Mark Wahlberg the best actor on the planet?" It's his best performance ever. Like, it's it's amazing. 
It's so good. Like everything from the way he clears his throat when he's supposed to be just on tons of coke to the way his face looks like the babe in the woods at the beginning and then looks like a strung out, like at rock bottom guy at the end. And Dirk Diggler is played by iconic Don Smark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. I just feel like thinking about Macho's fully loaded and like the whole why we talk are talking about this season. I had to like just dig into actual Marky Mark <laughs> oh, for a minute no. because oh, no. he is among the most problem- problematic machos whom I've loved performances of mm-hmm. in spite of myself. Uh, I will have no compunction saying that he is a dirt bag to put it mildly he has a history of racism violence and homophobia and currently he has a very strong fetish for catholicism he currently has like an app that's like mark Wahlberg's 40 day challenge and it's like a lent app yeah (laughs) and you can he has like he posted his schedule online it was like 5 a.m mass 6 a.m workout 7 a.m mass i was like cool so Uh, strange so strange um but, like, I remember seeing him in Fear. I mean, that was an early movie that I was, like, turned on by. And mm. was n- that was a new experience. Like, yeah. watching a movie and being like, oh, my God. Like, this guy's scary. But I see, I see this and I'm, like, excited by it. Um, totally. And then, you know, now he is, like whatever the executive producer of entourage or (laughs) like like a 20 year old (laughs) reference at this point. But um, I feel like it's important just to say, like I am talking very lovingly about his performance in boogie nights, which I think is excellent. Um, But he, he's been, you know, there's a lot of his past that is abhorrent and he has said he regrets some of these youthful actions from the benign, like dedicating his 1992 memoir Marky Mark to his penis, you know, and- <laughs> I'll, I'll say it. I'll go on record and say that he shouldn't regret that. The rest I don't of the think stuff, he should regret he that can. at all. Absolutely. <laughs> I also remember reading a snippet where he says, "Of his third nipple, it's dope, and bitches like to suck it." I love that. Actually, that's just been in my head for years. <laughs> um, you can also watch. There's a video. He had a workout tape uh, back in the Marky Mark days, and there's like some like sexy lady doing like bicep curls or something. Mm-hmm. And he's looking down her shirt in this mu- in this workout tape. And he's like, Ugh, that view. <laughs> I just remember being like, ah, <laughs> like, who is this? For sure. For sure. This is me. Like all girls school being like, what are boys? Is this what boys are? <laughs> um, but then, you know, you grow up, you find out he has, participated in racist violent Mm -hmm. assault and he has uh spoken about that and he's uh said he was on drugs but he's also apologized and he's tried to get like a pardon for this stuff um he's even apologized for claiming that he could have changed the course of events on 9-11 so this is who we're dealing with um and finally just before i wrap up on boogie nights um I wanted to shout out canonically beloved blonde man, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Hell yeah. <laughs> My twin. My twin. His, also his love of Dirk in that, oh in this movie. Oh my God. I remembered the scenes like where he tries to kiss him or where he sees him for the first time. And like the, yeah. the screen just goes black except for this little central p- perspective on Dirk. But every time 
Philip Seymour Hoffman is in a shot, like a, a, the full room at the adult video awards or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get his hands on Dirk. Yes. And it's completely believable. It's so good. A proxy um, for the audience in some ways, perhaps. For sure. Um, context, yeah. The movie also stars uh, Thomas Jane in a small role who later uh, plays like a down-on-his-luck teacher in the show Hung, who becomes an escort because he just wants his kids back. <laughs> and uh, and then last year's movie, Good Luck, Leo Grand, which has Daryl McCormick in it as yeah. an escort. Uh, the movie's more about the client, Emma Thompson, in that, mov- uh, that storyline, mm-hmm. but you know, and there's stuff that they don't get into that I feel like they should. Definitely. Like Daryl McCormick is a black man. He's Irish. Like there's a, a number of uh, race and class issues that they kind of touch on. Um, but it's very affecting and, and yeah. uh, heart heartwarming movie. So, um, yeah. Lots, that one. lots to add to the letterbox <clears throat> list of uh, horny Absolutely. mafia movies. Wow, what um, what a good pick, these two. Um, Boogie Nights in Conversations with Magic Mike is very interesting as, like, both kind of period pieces in a way, like thinking yeah. about the first one set during this 2008 recession and that mm-hmm. being, like, kind of the economic backdrop of the whole thing. Yeah. And then the 70s being kind of a boom time for porn, especially. And yet, <clears throat> it seems kind of like the motivations for our main characters, Mike Lane and Dirk Diggler are like a little bit similar. Mm -hmm. It's like, they love the work. They like, and they want to be, they want to be special. Yeah. They're, they want to be more than the high school kid dropout. Who's a waiter or the, you know, well, I, I, I work for a roofing company, but I'm really trying to get my furniture business off the ground ground, but with their, sexuality they can be something superhuman yeah oh that's like beautiful <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like aspirational almost yeah, yeah yeah i want a boogie Nights sequel that is like magic mike xxl and it's just <laughs> fun <laughs> <laughs> and goofy like, and william h macy doesn't blow his brains out don't uh tempt me to write some ao3 Ooh. about this <laughs> Speaking of fanfic, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there is Boogie Nights fanfiction out there. I'm sure. I- I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that, on our uh, kind of entry-level sexuality, as Kat called it, it's time to get triple X rated, y'all. Um, my picks this week, we have American New Wave Masterpiece Midnight Cowboy, directed by John Schlesinger. And the half art house, half porno, 100% new queer cinema romp that is Bruce LaBruce's Hustler White. Um, content warning for sexual assault going mm-hmm. forward. It's pretty explicit in Midnight Cowboy. Um, we'll be talking a bit about that. Um, Kat, have you seen either of these films? I have not. And I don't think I've heard of Hustler White before. Great. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Perfect. Um, so let me give you some background first, um, especially on Hustler White, just because I think uh, a lot of listeners will not be familiar with it. But both films are so brilliant. Um, I had never seen either before watching them for this episode. Mm. Both films are directed by openly gay men, um, and they center around characters who are full-service sex workers before the age of the internet. Was, so, was John Schlesinger 
openly like out at the yeah. time of the movie. Wow. Yeah, he was openly gay um, during the filming and during the awards run. It won a yeah. ton of Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, um, Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm. Um, and he, I think, was in a relationship with like the location scout or someone who worked on the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was out the whole time, which is like wow. pretty unique for a 1969 film. But, Absolutely. Um, so Midnight Cowboy follows Joe Buck. I mean, damn, talk about freaky blonde man john voight uh, oh wow which i don't know if he knows he was in this movie but he does a damn good job in it um so <laughs> the joe, joe buck <laughs> to buck angel pipeline <laughs> <laughs> me as hell um joe buck is a very sweet and incredibly simple texan boy who moves to new york with a dream to make it as an escort to manhattan's wealthy women um so very dirk diggler very Mike Lane. Um, it kind of starts out initially as like, he just has a dream and he knows that he's good at sex. And so he's going to go and try and cash in. Uh, it's kind of like, like a boom, boom time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we find out along the way that he's also processing some intense trauma. Uh, there are a lot of hints at child sexual abuse from his caretaker. He lived mm. with his grandma his whole life. Um, and some just, I mean, incredible filmmaking, horrific, Horror, like horror montages mm. um, where we see Joe and his girlfriend, Annie back in Texas. Um, Annie is considered kind of the town whore, quote mm. unquote, um, has a reputation for being crazy. We hear men talking about her in really kind of horrible, disparaging ways. Um, and in these flashbacks, we see that Joe and Annie are both raped by a group of men in town. Oh, wow. um, it's very intense, truly edited and shot like a horror film. Yeah. Um, and so Maybe he is, this is what he's escaping. Maybe this is something that he's trying to repair. It's it's very nebulous, but throughout, it's a very rich text about loneliness, about money, about entertainment in America, sexuality. There's so much there. I'm sure there have been books written about it. Mm-hmm. Something that there have been virtually no books written about, actually, which I was really shocked by in my research on this, is Hustler White, mm-hmm. uh, which is so genius so funny so enjoy like such a great watch um so it's directed by bruce labruce um film scholar eugenie brinkma describes him as a cinephile a pornographer a former grad student in (laughs) film theory founder of the homo core movement in canada which was an effort to introduce erotic anarchy into the sexually complacent and homophobic punk movement labruce is simply too many things um huge working director in the new queer cinema movement. Um, and he actually put out a movie last year. Um, but his, his filmography is, you know, notorious for blurring the lines between art and porn. Mm. Uh, this quote from Brinkma in this piece that I read, one of the only pieces I could find really discussing his filmography, um, says that LaBruce's films insist that a spectator get off on art and think seriously about porn, mm. which is like, so completely true about his work. Yeah. Um, and he is like the definition of camp. He's it's like if John Waters were making like pornos, essentially. Um, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought up John Waters because yeah. I was thinking about him. There's this line in Boogie Nights. Uh, Don Cheadle's trying to get a bank loan, and the banker was like, "You're a pornographer. We're not going to f- mm. uh, finance a, a peddler of filth." Yeah. And John Waters has been he's embraced. I mean, he's, he's the filth is a word that you associate with John Waters, but 
he is still like in Hollywood. He's still yeah. on the, um, I would say that like most people would know who John Waters is like mm-hmm. hairspray went to Broadway and then had Zac Efron in it, you know, like yeah. it's become very mainstream to some extent. I mean, I'm sure there are people who will never see pink flamingos, but who right. will go see hairspray with their moms on Broadway. Um, Definitely. But so it's like, yeah, John Waters is still on one side of the line and on right. the other side of the line, it seems like is, is Bruce LaBruce who would, I imagine be a big influence on like, I can't remember the filmmaker short bus, like the other yeah, John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was John Cameron Mitchell. Right. Like the movie. other kind of independent cinema that includes explicit sex and doesn't yeah. shy away from that. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's interesting. I am a huge John Waters fan. I've seen all of his films. He's like a saint to me, mm-hmm. but he definitely started as extremely independent and mm-hmm. self-financing much of his films. I think until, um hairspray or maybe polyester i forget i think hairspray came first but um it's interesting that he's kind of infiltrated hollywood i still think that he has a hard time getting things made relative um but yeah definitely like still like uses filth as a badge of honor but is still able to communicate to the mainstream i think where labruce is different is that he is a pornographer. Like he, I think yeah. he cops to that and is straight up identifies as somebody who makes porn films, um, which is complicated in both the art world and the porn world. And yeah. I mentioned Wakefield Pool and Fred Halstead earlier, um, but they're in similar positions where it's like, well, I'm too porno- pornographic for the art world, mm. too artistic for the porn world. Like where does this kind of live? And that's yeah. why there's kind of this dearth of you know scholarly literature about them um but two podcasts i would highly recommend if people are interested in these topics one is pure garbage by wussy magazine about john waters they interview him in an episode it's great and then the other is ask anybody Mm. um by elizabeth perchell which is just each episode is a deep dive into one of uh the golden age of porns uh gay films it's very interesting i think it's also important to note like in the feminist conversation right there have been various perspectives on pornography in the feminist movement like Mm -hmm. the second and third waves a third wave of feminism in the 90s i think was extremely um resistant to porn and found it uh you know and they were responding to a, a real misogyny and um and violence against women right yeah when we talk about like gay porn where we're talking about an even more like marginalized group of mm-hmm. um creators performers like an industry that is not as entrenched as the like the uh, san fernando valley pornography right. that a lot of feminist critics have talked about i read the book uh the feminist porn book which goes mm-hmm. into like how there are ways to be fem- a feminist and embrace pornography or enjoy pornography and also it's not something that like I think anybody's saying like you have to be into it or you have to right. like it. It just is a a reality. Like it's a real thing for people. It's something that people mm-hmm. work in and they put art into. Um I you know, I think I mentioned in the first episode you have a Tom of Finland tattoo. Yeah. There's yeah. this beautiful movie about Tom of Finland that came out a couple of years ago, funded by the Finnish government's like art council. Mm-hmm. Um he was a he was an artist. He was a 
an artist working uh, in advertising, like doing illustrations for for advertising. And also he was doing this like transgressive and life-saving pornographic work. And that is something that has influenced generations of subcultures. I think there's also a different cultural, like pornography is situated different Mm -hmm. culturally for gay men. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking from that point of view, which I'll get into with Hustler White later on. Um, But it just occupies a different cultural space. And I think that a lot of the art films like Bruce LaBruce and all all of his work speak to that in varying ways. Like they are Mm -hmm. identity films kind of at the end of the day, um, whether he wants them to be or not. Um, But yeah, so much different from kind of mainstream straight porn in that way as well. Um, For example... Uh, to kind of get, give you an idea of tonally what we're working with with Bruce Bruce. Um, his most recent film, St. Narcisse from 2022, I think, um, follows a very hot young man who finds out that he has mm. a twin brother who is a monk in a monastery and they meet wow. and they have sex with each other. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the kind of Which, vibe like, we're working 2022, with. 2022, um, that's very transgressive. Like that's going to be, that's fascinating. Cool was not a wide release believe it or not um anyway hustler white we see labruce play himself as jürgen anger no relation to mm-hmm. kenneth anger as is joked many times um he's an academic doing research on the gay hustling scene in los angeles in the 90s um and on his trip to la he hires monty ward played by tony ward uh, a sex worker who joins him and kind of shows him the ropes the sights all the hustling uh all the stuff that the hustling and kink scene has to offer um, and what's fascinating to me is that oh. it's formatted like Sunset Boulevard. It opens with Monty face down in this like shitty apartment complex jacuzzi. And as such is just such a fun, sharp satire on the portrayals of sex work. Like the night cowboy itself, there are some like direct references to it uh, in mainstream media. And of course there is mm. full on unsimulated sex. Um, highly recommend it's a great. Time. Is there, um, is midnight cowboy one of the like Hollywood movies that also portrays unsimulated sex no there isn't really Mm. a ton of sex in it to begin with which is interesting um there's a lot of insinuation they do some really great uh like Mm. stand-in orgasm moments you know like like there's this montage of this tv flickering and channels changing rapidly until there's like a building demolition um so that kind of like yeah montage stuff yeah um, but no unsimulated there were a couple sex. of movies in the like the 70s um, that were were going there but yeah yeah right um okay so there are a lot of similarities with both films as kind of mentioned both about sex workers both directed by gay men both about you know full service sex work um I, I was really interested in the worlds of each film particularly like how we access them as viewers um And that's what sets them apart from one another. And by that, I mean that Midnight Cowboy is about a straight man looking to engage in straight sex work, Mm -hmm. kind of like Magic Mike. Uh, And then Hustler White is about gay male hustling. So Midnight Cowboy's world of sex work is initially presented to us as escapism. Joe Buck is escaping from his mundane life in Texas. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's going to New York City to chase a dream, to be with beautiful women, to make a ton of money. Um, you know, that American dream theme that yeah. kind of permeates a lot of sex work media. Um, and then we come to understand that it's perhaps him running away from trauma. So for example, when we, it, well, also the context <laughs> is he's bad at hustling. Yeah. Like he is, he is not good at this. He like 
has one client that actually pays in like the entire movie. Um, so he has this, a successful meetup with a woman. He meets at a party and then pays for his services. And he's distraught and he's tense and emotional after they have sex. He didn't enjoy the experience as much as he thought he would. Um, and it kind of leads him to mm. decide he doesn't want to do it anymore. He doesn't rebuke the profession, but he says, hell, I ain't no kind of hustler. It's got to yeah. be an easier way of making a living than this. And then thinks about doing uh, construction mm. work or other physical labor, which I also find fascinating, um, using your body but for it, work. It's, it's not the dream. It's not the goal is to like be the best hustler. It's, it's a means to an end. Right. Which is, I think that kind of sets it apart from Boogie Nights in that way. Like Boogie Nights feels like the outlier in that it's the performance, the actual mm-hmm. work is the dream, yeah, not what comes from it. Um, but regardless, with Midnight Cowboy presented as escapism, the trauma isn't actually the sex work itself. It's mm-hmm. about the trauma of poverty and the trauma of capitalism and the grift and the American dream which I feel like is not the case with a lot of right. movies about women who are sex workers. I feel like it's the trauma right. of the actual act itself. Because men um, are yeah. entitled to be American individuals and women are part mm. of a ma- like a, a subservient class. Like maybe that's, that's right. the tragedy, right? For a fallen man is different. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's that you failed at something, honestly. Um, and weren't able to make your dream come true in this way. But I find that world really interesting. It's presented as escapism, whereas Hustler White's world of gay sex work Mm. is presented as the mundane, which is so delightful to watch, truly. Um, The actual hustling and the sex and clientele isn't shocking. I mean, it's it's wild to see unsimulated Mm. sex in an art house film, but once you get over it, it's not something that anybody is trying to use as escape. both, pe- uh, both films see hustling as this form of mobility, but Hustler White really treats mm-hmm. the hustlers like employees. Um, so, for example, and, and like kind of subverts yeah. these typical sex work tropes. So, there is a scene where a young man dressed as a cowboy is uh-huh. standing on a Santa Monica Boulevard and is picked up by an older man also dressed as yeah. a cowboy with a really thick accent in a car. They get to this guy's apartment the young man is kind of telling his sob story about how he came to LA and is just trying to make some money. And the John is just kind of like, yeah, okay. I don't really care. Let's, let's get to it. And the guy and the sex worker is like, okay. And then they happily have this insane sex scene. And it's really subverting the sadness and the circumstances that are in a girl. That reminds me, did you see, um, special, I want to say it's Ryan O'Connell who mm-hmm. uh, stars in that. And he yes. has been very open about like experiences with sex workers as a gay man with disability. Yeah. And in his show, he has um, Ryan Jordan Alvarez, like in the show as a sex worker. And it is like, it is a mon- mundane, like this is just part of life. Like it's not something that is, that has like a strong moral piece. There's not like a huge decision making in it. It's just right. like, well, like, you know, you go to get your hair cut by a professional and sometimes you get off with a professional, like, and. Absolutely. Which I think is quite unique to gay content. I mean, even thinking about Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL, there's still, like we talked about, there's still some moralizing there a bit. And whether it's intentional or not, I mean, XXL Mm -hmm. is more of a romp, more of a, a road movie, but it's definitely still there. Yeah. 
so also in both films, uh, queerness is very inherent to both stories to varying degrees. I mean, as discussed, both films have openly gay men uh, who directed them, but both films were met with backlash in different ways upon their release. Um, so LaBruce has always had detractors both within and outside of the gay community for showing very shocking and subversive sex acts. It's, you know, similar to John Waters, uh, queer respectability mm-hmm. politics will always exist. There will be community members who always reject shocking, you know, pieces of art. And that same thing happened here. Um, and Midnight Cowboy was met with, you know, fairly homophobic reception for the time. It was 1969 um, amidst a wave of public sentiment kind of growing against gay people. Um, I was reading a piece that pulled out a headline from the New York Times around the release of uh, Midnight Cowboy that said, growth of overt homosexuality in city mm-hmm. provokes wide concern. Um, but at the same time, I found recent scholarly work that called Midnight Cowboy an inaccurate or dated portrayal of queerness, which yeah. I kind of find funny. It's like, it's, I don't think we need to rewrite that history per se, because I really enjoy that both films problematize or uh, like I think accurately portray elements of gay relationships as in like truly basic relationships not like romantic or sexual but uh you know an exchange a transaction um a relationship that is for pleasure or for money not necessarily for community um so during one of uh Jurgen Anger's interview uh, he, there's like kind of an interview voiceover throughout the whole of Hustler White. Uh, he asks Monty, the main hustler, uh, are you gay or straight? To which Monty says, yeah. I don't, I'm a hustler, which I think is such a basic distillation that totally. really applies to both films. That's what I want to ask um, you about is like yeah. the, especially in the more like mainstream Hollywood stuff, the sense that when men and probably I would say anyone, but these men start engaging in sex work of some mm-hmm. form, they then are more like, um, they have more proximity to queerness. And like, yes. I love the part in Magic Mike XXL where they go to a drag show and there's no like gay panic about it. Like, oh, it's so lovely. Mike yeah. Because he wants to like win the Vogue off or whatever. <laughs> there's no like, oh, I wouldn't do that. I'm not yeah. gay. I only dance for women. Like there's no piece of that in 2015 in yeah. this 2015 movie in boogie nights like y- there's so much about like if you're going to be a, a porn star then like all these men are going to be looking at your at your penis and like how how's that feel right. and it feels fine right. eventually you know and he also has experienced like some elements of like being paid by men to jerk off or whatever it is um right. but it's oh, yeah. almost like, well, once you've gone, once you've transgressed, you know, then you're now like on the side <laughs> of um, homos. I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm saying that in the way that I feel yeah. like uh, Burt Reynolds like character might say something. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like once you have crossed the line, there's there's other lines that you've crossed as well. And that's that's really something. Like, what do you think about that as like a gay man who could that be like part of why these are compelling stories? Yeah. Well, thinking about Midnight Cowboy specifically, it's interesting because when Joe fails to pick up any women or to successfully work for or with women, he, there are two incidents where Mm -hmm. he engages in like gay sex work. Um, And it is horrible for him. He doesn't want to do it. 
to, I mean, to the credit of the film, mm-hmm. he's never violent or anything to these men um, or to anybody really, which is kind of fascinating to me in its own way. Um, but it's something that is done out of a res- like a last resort and something he definitely does not identify with and something that he and I guess his companion or friend uh, Enrico Razzo mm-hmm. Rizzo played by Dustin Hoffman, um, who's kind of a calm man who takes him in as like, I don't know. He, he describes himself right. as Joe's management. Uh, they're both very <laughs> bad at their jobs again. <laughs> um, uh, Rizzo is constantly commenting on his cowboy aesthetic and being like, that is something that gay men are into. Mm. Like you are in the wrong, like you're going to, uh, uh, you're only going to be pigeonholed into gay sex work. If you keep right. embracing this aesthetic, um, that is a very yeah, nice yeah, yeah. how he says it. Um, um, and yet their relationship is the most right gay of the whole movie i mean it's it really reminded me a lot of Mm -hmm. pony boy and johnny and the outsiders which we talked about last episode um in that they care so deeply for one another i think i mean as it was kind of our thesis in the team machos episode there with with joe and rizzo in midnight cowboy there is Mm -hmm. less access to emotionality and less of an ability to articulate how they feel about one another but the whole movie starts to hinge on this relationship where they care about one another's well-being. Um, they they get jealous of one another when Joe is picked up by a woman and Rizzo's at this party yeah. and feels kind of spurned by that. Uh, they live together. Uh, they escape New York together at the very end in this kind of tragic sequence. Um, so there are explicitly gay moments in the sex work aspect of it. Um but the real ex- exploration of queerness or homosocial relationships wow. is through Joe and Rizzo. Yeah, and I'm very like curious, like, if any listeners want to recommend, um, we've talked, these are American and, and Canadian filmmakers, and this notion of, like, commerce and how all of them are, if you're a hustler, like, is that not the most individual, like, my success is based on my hard work or, like, my ability to game, to play mm. the game, I'm curious h- how this maybe has been approached in other cultures and countries. Um, yeah. Cause I've seen oh, stuff that does feature like women in other from in other countries, but um, have just tell me what to watch. This is like, this is the point of this show is I want more things to watch and yeah. think about more macho, macho content. content. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that the ex- exploration of queerness is fascinating. In in Hustler White, it's much more overt, obviously, because it takes place in the world of uh, gay sex work to begin with. But Monty Ward still is like I don't like refuses to identify himself and says I'm a hustler. Like that's that's what it is. Um, but on that, to kind of lighten up the convo, would love to just talk about Hustler White as just one of the funniest. Hollywood satires I've seen recently. Um, it is a genius portrayal mm. of how sex work is portrayed in Hollywood media, mainstream Hollywood films. So there's commentary on films about male mm-hmm. sex workers like Midnight Cowboy, with that cowboy scene I mentioned. Uh, there's some hints of American Gigolo in there, another great film. Uh, and then kind of commenting on the entertainment machine at large. I mean, taking its format directly from Sunset Boulevard uh, has an incredible ending oh inspired gosh. by whatever happened to Baby Damn. Jane. Um, but some, some choice examples for you. So Jurgen is nar- narrating the whole thing 
he's in LA on a, a trip to research the hustling scene. He's talking into a tape recorder the whole time. And when he first lays eyes on hustler Monty Ward, he's kind of referring to himself in the third person. And he's like, Oh my God, this man is so beautiful. And he says, Jurgen <laughs> perceives this as love at first sight for the young man. He's one of many potentially wow. thousands of tricks of the day. And it's like really trying to impose a morality on there that we see in kind of, you and, know, hooker with a heart of gold films. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, and similar to, I found this parallel really interesting. Both scene or both films have scenes with children where the main characters are kind of mm. redeemed by how good they are or with kids. So in Midnight Cowboy, we see Joe Buck on the bus to New York City kind of playing like peekaboo with this young girl uh, in the seat next to him and just being kind of a delightful young man. Um, and then in Hustler White, there's a storyline where Monty explains to Jurgen, interviewing him that he has a baby, he got a woman pregnant and has been left with the baby. We see him in the bathtub playing with this kid. It's so cute. And at the time, like it's, it's very early on in the film. And it's like, oh, wow. Like what a redeeming moment. He's such a good dad. Right. That is completely abandoned through the rest of the thing. That's like, oh, that was another kind yeah. of send up of these Hollywood tropes of like morality and sex work, which I think are like the stakes for that in gay sex work are so different. Right. Like, I don't think anybody would care or feel and, bad. And that also he has that like men um, having a positive relationship with children is like valued so much whereas like women's positive relationship with children is like so tenuous and in boogie nights you have julianne moore's character whose son has been taken away from her which Mm. she turns into this uh, twisted electric complex or not electro edipal complex with dirk diggler or i think of the florida project and uh the Mm. character you know it's hinted at the fact that she's seeing clients in the hotel room while her daughter is right. alone in the bathtub. When you said bathtub, it's the first thing I thought of, which, right. um, but for Absolutely. how we perceive men as being morally good with a capital G. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great take. Totally. Um, goes far mm-hmm. beyond just a Hollywood trope. Um, but at the end, I think the ending deserves a shout out because it is so funny. It's, <laughs> Monty slips on a bar of soap by a jacuzzi. Oh, that's why he was face down at the beginning. <laughs> his face down, like Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> we find out why he's dead. Jurgen is shocked, bundles up his body in a white sheet, and takes him to Malibu. And they sit on the beach with his ostensibly dead body. There are shots of him where Monty Ward is trying so hard to hold his breath, but you can see him like fluttering his eyelashes. Um, and at the end, he wakes up, spits out a bunch of water, and then he and Jurgen spend like a two-minute sequence running on the beach oh and doing cartwheels together. <laughs> um, which is is very similar to Midnight Cowboy. There is a moment where Rizzo, Dustin Hoffman's kind of grifter, con man character, is fantasizing about him and Joe moving to Florida. And every fantasy he has about them in Florida is them making it big, running this resort and being together. He is present in every single scene of this fantasy. It's not just a, a, I'm going to get out of this town on my own. It it, it hinges on this relationship. Um, So I like to think that this Hustler White moment was a bit of an homage. At the end of this season, we're going to have solved the problem Um, of male friendship. (laughs) Yes. We are getting you friends, period. Oh. (laughs) 
Um, But anyway, I just to end, I think that like the brilliance of Hustler White, especially watching it in conversation with Midnight Cowboy is that it forces the audience Mm -hmm. into an industry. Like you're in an industry, you're in a workplace. um, And it like forces the audience to treat sex and sexuality Mm -hmm. and commerce as something that is funny or unserious um, that is commercial um, and something that's like, you know, key to gay life in LA, especially at the time, which I think was 1996. Um, there was like no sensationalizing it at all. It's sensational to watch, certainly. But I think the take the takeaway at the end of the day is it's, it's showbiz, baby. And with that, we will be right back to share this season's version of the Freak Out Macho of the Week. Hey, FFR listeners. Are you signed up to our Patreon yet? If you're not, you're missing out on special content made exclusively for our patrons. And if you're not a patron, that means that you're not helping me get paid. And if you're not helping me get paid, that means my good little dog Griffin isn't getting the good treats. Head on over to patreon.com slash femfreak. That's F-E-M-F-R-E-Q. Become a patron to get great content and also to make sure my dog Griffin gets the good treats. Oh, and you get the good treats as well, which in your case would be quality discussions about media. All right, now it is time to talk about the matcha that's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Uh, this week we got Cat's pick. Uh, he is probably the macho of the 20th century, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's macho of the week this week for uh, what he chooses to talk about, what he chooses to um, give voice to on his platform. Uh, I just saw writer, director, comedian Danielle Silverstone talk on TikTok about a video that Arnold Schwarzenegger posted on Twitter the other day where he talks about anti-Semitism and those who choose ideologies of hate. Uh, Danielle, who's Jewish, said she sobbed throughout the entire video. It's linked in the show notes and it's very emotional to watch. I also want to like it starts with him talking about a trip to visit the concentration camp at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. The first, I don't know, four minutes of this video are uh, portrayals of the Holocaust. You can skip ahead to that if that's not something that you want to see. But um, he he very sincerely talks about uh, he's speaking to people who might become members of hate groups. And that's really interesting. He uh, Arnold has talked about growing up in Austria after World War II, raised by a father who was a Nazi and who was a man that coped with the fact that the hateful ideology he believed in lost. And what's really interesting is this kind of like Arnold being the macho and talking about masculinity and strength and um, challenges. He's basically saying, don't be a loser. Don't be a weakling who just gives in to hateful ideologies. Um, You have to strengthen your mind just like you have to strengthen your body. And just because, as he says, big tech's algorithms may push you to the extreme. He says, do not take the path of least resistance and fight against that. And it's really something to watch because it's like, I'm Arnold, right? I'm talking to you. Like, there are pictures of him lifting weights <laughs> in this video. Like, it cuts to him <laughs> uh, just, like, lifting, right? And he's like, it was hard to do that. The weight was heavy on me. 
but you must like you <laughs> must do the hard thing even if the weight is heavy on you because you cannot hate people that was the worst arnold uh impression uh, ever thank you <laughs> i thought it was great uh and look he is far from perfect as like a celebrity for people to uh look up to as former governor of California or whatever, but it's really powerful when people in his position use their platform to talk about stuff like this and to call out racists. And specifically, he talks about, um, he's talking about anti-Semitism. He's using the Holocaust as an example and with his personal experience as an Austrian. But um, it, he's like saying, if you hate people based on their religion, race, gender, or sexuality, you are a loser and don't give in to being a loser. Yeah. So I think that he's showing some really uh, important values here and I'm giving him macho of the week for that. Oh my God. Congrats, Arnold. <laughs> yeah, we'll be in right. touch. Um, I think also just to get my little theory yes. brain out there, I think a lot about the phrase toxic masculinity and how that gets conflated a lot with masculinity, period. Interesting. Um, yeah. Which I think is not accurate and a little unfair, but I think it's, it's really kind of cool the way that this is using honestly positive masculinity still, you know, foundational kind of tenets of masculinity, which is like success and, you know, Mm -hmm. being a leader um, to promote something that is objectively good and kind. Um, I don't know. I, the, the kind of loser language, like is working I, on me. I'm not absolutely. Lie. <laughs> and like that conflation with strength as a masculine quality in this video, yeah. he talks about a, an old, older, uh, old woman, an elderly woman, a Holocaust survivor that he spoke to. And he talks about her incredible strength and I think that's great because mm. he's saying, yes, of course, I am. Yeah. I'm Mr. Olympus. I'm the king of physical strength. I know about that. But also, right. we got to talk about our mental strength, our emotional strength, resilience. These are strong qualities that you want to have. And yeah. I, I fully agree that like using positive masculinity, right, is a way to fight against patriarchy. And fight yeah, against the ways absolutely. that patriarchy also harms men. Right. I'll always think about Rob Delaney, comedian, um, hirsute yeah. gentleman, who <laughs> said, it's so weird that the best, my best uh, tool to fight the patriarchy is to be a good father to my sons. And, right. like, agree. Um, so, absolutely. yeah, use your strongman pulpit to uh, to talk to guys on the internet who love watching predator and maybe they'll yep. maybe they'll hear what they need to hear yeah thank you arnold and congrats <laughs> yeah, again i really do think <laughs> oh boy i am gonna do a bad photoshop at the end of this season um you know how like on america's next top model the the model that got kicked off was like evaporate <laughs> yes. so i want there to be like on rupaul's drag race um all-stars hall of champions there's there's like the Ooh. pictures on the wall of Chad Michaels in Alaska. Oh my <laughs> so God. We need yes. The machos yes. of the week. And it's Austin Butler, like welcoming Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> <laughs> into the champagne room or whatever. <laughs> oh my God. We will make it happen. There's oh, going to be a weight rack. I mean, I mean, honestly, like <laughs> I could build this an animal crossing. We're oh my it. God. We're doing it. 
bring it to the metaverse. This has been our show for today. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for this season. Feminist Frequency Radio presenting Machos Fully Loaded. I am AC Lamberty, and you can follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at AC Lamberty. Um, and on Letterboxd, we have a list going of the films that we've discussed on this season. I'm Kat Spada. I'm on Twitter at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina. You can uh, follow Feminist Frequency on all the socials at FemFreak. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, please stick around. We are going to have a bonus episode kind of building upon this conversation. We want to talk about some recent discourse about sex scenes in movies. Mm. Is it generational? Is it going away? We have lots to say. Uh, If you like the show, help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on your favorite app. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.